This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. My guest today is John Ray. John and I have a number of mutual friends. I was familiar with him because he had spoken at Idea Camp here in Austin a few years ago, so I was uh, familiar with him from that, but I had no idea what I was in for with this conversation until it started to unfold, so you might you might even catch on with that a little bit. John's uh, church is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and what I discovered along the way is they have the most collaborative sermon prep process from anybody I have interviewed to date and probably anybody I've ever talked to, so it was really fun to hear and uh, hear how he described what that looks like for them as they have no full-time staff members who are devoted to the process of preaching. So for those of you who are bivocational or those of you who wear a lot of different hats in your church, uh, this might be something interesting for you to be hearing more about. And it just gives a unique flavor to this interview overall. If you'd like to be a partner with the podcast and help support what we're up to, uh, I'd recommend to you audible.com. I use Audible to listen to audiobooks all the time. I think I've probably listened to 10 to 15 audiobooks this year, mostly just maybe doing little chores around the house sometimes or listening in my car. I'll recommend one this week because it's one that John talks about in this interview, which is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. It's a fiction book. I find narrative format works best for audiobook. But Gilead, if you are not familiar, is... Well, John's going to talk about it, so you can just hear about it in the interview. But if you go to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith, you can get a free download of an Audible book, and that Gilead by Marilyn Robinson could be the one that you choose to go with. And if you become a subscriber, then a little bit of money will come back, and that's a way that you can support my time and the, the hosting and all that that goes into this podcast. So thanks for considering that. And again, uh, this is John Ray from... Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Let's jump in. I'm with John Ray, a friend of many friends. So I feel like I know you just because I've heard your name so much. Maybe we met in passing last time. You, were, I don't know if it was the last time when you were in Austin, but when you were here for Idea Camp. Uh, John, tell us a little bit about where you are, your church. Well, it's a, it's an interesting intersection, Northwest Arkansas actually reminds me a lot of the Austin that I grew up in 30, 40 years ago. It's a, uh, uh, town that's heavy with, um, the arts. The university is, is a mainstay as kind of a central focusing place here. And then you have a, a booming business with Walmart and Tyson just to the North. And so it's attracting a lot of, a lot of, uh, very entrepreneurial type sorts, creative sorts, college students, and in the midst of that, uh, Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, where I am, uh, I coordinate the teaching for the, for our, our group, uh, is kind of right in the intersection of all that. Even mm-hmm. though we're a suburban, we have a suburban building, we, uh, we seem to attract from a, a pretty wide swath of that demographic here. It's all the way from college students to executives and all the business that's there and, Absolutely. And yeah. some, you know, stay at home, stay at home families to transitioning people just coming through. And we have a, we, we kind of skew disproportionately towards young families as well. And I'm still not quite sure why we do that, but we have that. And we have a lot of people who are vocational ministry. Um, University of Arkansas 
attracts a, a large number of campus ministries. And we have a, a good deal of people that work in those campus ministries find their home here at Grace as well. Again, I'm not quite sure why, but yeah. it's, uh, it definitely uh, makes us the richer for it. And what's the, uh, is there a denominational affiliation or anything like that for the church? There's, I would say the roots run back to um, kind of a confluence of progressive Southern Baptist and the Fellowship Bible Church model. Oh, yeah. It was started by someone who, who graduated from Southern Baptist Seminary and but was uh, planted the church kind of on the cell celebration model. But the church has has really morphed over the years by the people that have that have been here um, from just a variety of backgrounds, uh, United Methodist to Catholic to uh, non non denominational um, uh, reformed. There's just a we have a pretty a pretty I would say for a church that looks like us we have a pretty wide swath of backgrounds and uh, and theological perspectives. So we hold ourselves to a, a kind of the non-denominational denomination yeah, yeah. in a way. With that, you would I think you would feel pretty at home here uh, coming in from a non-denominational church. But um, but in a lot of ways, there's distinctives as well. And and you so I've already seen you use language in two different places that tells me that your role might be a little bit unique from the typical lead pastor role that you know somebody might assume. So. Your bio that you sent me said you were a YWAM missionary, and then right. you just said you coordinate the teaching, or I've seen you call the teaching elder. So how does your role fit in the structure? Yeah, I would say that's one of the distinctives. Um, about seven years ago, the the guy that founded the church um, resigned, moved on, and the church was at a crisis. I was just a, I was an elder at the church, primarily focused with uh, with youth of the mission and, and traveling and teaching with them. And we had, uh, as elders, really wrestled with what does that look like? What does it mean to be an elder? And um, we decided that instead of instead of going out and seeking a traditional kind of lead pastor, fully vocational pastor, that because we had a large number of people who were who were qualified in vocational ministry in other areas, that we would try to do we would try to do something a little bit different. So we put together an elder team and uh, assigned responsibilities across the way. And I came up being the guy who was responsible for teaching. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm an elder. I'm equal in authority, unique in responsibility with the other guys that are on the elder team. Uh, I'm definitely bivocational. I mean, my, my main job is a YWAM missionary. That's, that's yeah. what I do. But, uh, but oftentimes, because of my role within Youth of the Mission, traveling and teaching, uh, I'm at home on Sunday. Hmm. So I'm able to, and with the miracle of technology and Google Docs and Skype and FaceTime, uh, I can keep in touch. And, uh, and then, so I'm responsible for the teaching on Sunday morning, whether I do it or whether I have someone else do it, uh, I'm responsible for that. Yeah. So that's what I oversee. And so... When you say bivocational, are you? Is this at all a paid position within the church? I get a stipend, yeah, uh, for overseeing that, um, and I treat it similar like I would uh, missionary support from another church. Right. Uh, with that, I will say that this church is our would be our single largest supporter in that, um, but it's uh, it's definitely not like a, a full time position. 
paid is, position with it. And how often do you preach? Probably 60 to 70% of the time, okay. I would say, is how it shakes out right now. And when you talk about, uh, I'm going to say this, but we're not going to answer this right now because hopefully we'll come back to it. When you talk about how, you know, the rest of the time you're coordinating other, is that, are you doing, I'll just ask you now. <laughs> are, are Is there a process of even developing other people to be preachers, teachers in the church? Or is it just because you have so many people who have some vocational ministry background, you can utilize them? Well, it's definitely the first. Yeah. Now, it's easier because of the second, but but the goal through this whole uh, through this whole process, even though I, I can't say it was fully intentional when we developed it, is that I have found that that leading and facilitating the teaching team has become one of the most fruitful areas of training um, people within the body uh, to do the work of ministry, whether that's preaching itself or just leading others and understanding the gospel and uh, having the tools that it needs to, to really deeply and transformationally study scripture. Um, having a team that develops a message has just become something incredibly beautiful hmm. that, uh, that I really had not anticipated when we started it this way. So you talk about having a team. So how's that? talk more about how does that team function, both in terms of sermons you write, but also in terms of when others are, are doing it. Yeah, and, I, and I, I guess i got to back up right there, too. We, one of our highest values is that we develop each message as a group. Hmm. So even though one person may deliver the message on Sunday morning, the, the process of developing involves involves a number of people. It's really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm giving this interview by myself, but I feel like to really genuinely reflect the process, um, Alex and Feli and Mike and Julie and Donnie and Sean and Jane and Randall all ought to be around the table hmm. for this discussion. We have a, again, technology is an amazing thing. So we have, we have a, a large area of Google Docs where we, um, we plan out the the topics mm -hmm. months ahead. And so we know what's coming months ahead of time with that. Uh, and then we assign who's going to take what Sunday. And then we have a Google Doc for each Sunday. And it's got the outline and the text. And people start commenting on the on the document, you know, sometimes a couple weeks ahead of time. Yeah. And then we all, or whoever's available that week, meets together. We meet together on Wednesday morning, and we hash it out in person. So that by the time Sunday comes along, even though there is one person delivering the message, the influence of the entire team is usually pretty evident, if not specifically referenced while the person is giving the, the, the sermon or the teaching um, if you're listening carefully, you can hear other voices in what's being spoken. Hmm. So let's backtrack to the planning then. Like, do you all get together? You set aside some extended period of time to hash out what upcoming topics will be based. Is it textual or just needs of the congregation or how's that work? So, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, 
so so when we were when we were at the position where we were where the founding pastor um, was stepping away, and we were at that that crucial time of how are we going to go forward? And I wish I could tell you there was some spiritual epiphany that led us to do this, but it, I can't even tell you what it was. But we decided that we were going to preach through Paul's letters chronologically. And that ended up being a three-year process. Hmm. So it really, once we decided kind of what we were going to do, the work of dividing up what text for what Sunday wasn't all that difficult. You could map that out pretty well with just a few resources. And after we got done with that, we had, we felt such a profound um, encounter with Scripture that most of us had never had before, either coming from uh, churches that, that taught topically or, uh, or in other ways, we dove into doing the gospel synoptically. Hmm. Yeah. And that's been another three-year journey. And we're, we're going to finish that up this Easter. Um, so, so those gave us very, very long horizons. Yeah. To, yeah. To <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're going to come out at Easter. We're going to come out of six years, essentially, of, of uh, Paul and then Jesus uh, looking at that, and and then we're gonna we're actually gonna try something different. We haven't totally decided on it, but um, there's a there's a resource out there that does the lectionary in narrative form. Hmm. They do four, a four year cycle that takes you through uh, a traditional uh, lectionary narrative, but but in a narrative model, so that you're getting the story with a flow and an arc uh, through those years and. Um, and, and it adds four, a fourth year. And it adds a fourth year. Yeah, okay. It takes each, it takes each one of the Gospels independently and then, uh, and then adds in, you know, Old Testament Psalms and uh, the different prophets as it goes through what, as well. I feel like I've seen mention of this or even maybe somebody mentioned it on here before. What's that called? Yeah, it's, I think it's out of the Lutheran Church, actually. Hmm. Um, I'll, uh, I'll try to find it and send it to you. I have okay. it up in there. Yeah. Um, Somebody's in their car listening to this right now, screaming out the name of it. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Maybe not right now, but in the future, I predict right, somebody is screaming right, out right. the name of this. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll respond on the website and tell us, no, don't use that; it's horrible. It's bad. Because <laughs> I, I haven't met anybody who's done it. I've just I've read up on it, and it looks it looks awesome. I've printed it off. Oh wait, I did print it off. Maybe I'll put it up real quick. But go ahead. Yeah, well, so knowing what you're doing then that far in advance and you start creating these Google Docs, what is the level? I mean, you say a couple of weeks before people just start inputting. Is it? Is there just some kind of shared expectation that everybody's looking a couple of weeks in advance and then just as life goes along and they think of something, they add it or they're doing particular study toward it or – it's really interesting what has happened in the dynamics of the team. Certain personalities gravitate towards certain uh, ways of study and certain resources. Um, like one of the most fruitful voices uh, in the past has been um, one of our teaching team members named Julie. And she came across uh, this uh, uh, Kenneth Bailey. Oh, yeah. Know. Yeah. So, so she introduced Ken Kenneth Bailey 
as a resource to the group. And wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, that just brought so much richness to it. And then she kind of became the Bailey expert hmm. in a way. So we could count on Julie to chime in from Bailey's perspective on the teaching doc um, with certain things like that. And so it's not like everybody studies the same thing. In a way, it's brought this really beautiful mosaic of people being kind of specialist in different areas, and they bring that voice to the table with it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and not everybody contributes every week. I mean, everybody who is involved in this has another full-time job. And so... So you never know what you get week to week, but because we have a big enough group, um, there there always seems to be more than sufficient voices added to it. So what what would that document, by the time you all sit down on Wednesday for this coming Sunday, that would have been this morning, right? Today's Wednesday. Right. Yes, we had, our, <laughs> so, we had our meeting this morning. So as you sat down and looked at this on Wednesday morning, this morning, how much would a typical document have in it? Well, so this morning, you know, it's hard to say typical. This morning, uh, Mike is going to teach on Sunday, and Mike's Mike is very good with tables and charts and graphs. That's a particular <laughs> strength he has. So the doc was already had a fully fleshed out table in there of comparison that he was going to use. It's got the text in there. It had comments, I think, from about five different people. Had you know, in a Google Doc, you. You just highlight and add in a comment out yeah. to the side. So we had an ongoing sidebar discussion. Um, and then by the time the meeting was over and he included his notes in there, you could, I would say you're within, you know, within an hour or two of work of tidying things up to be ready to teach. And so what is, what's different by the time the meeting's over with that document? Uh, I think that then it kind of goes back to the individual who's going to teach to make it their own. Yeah. After you, you know, you have to digest it. Um, you have to take everything that was said, everything that was commented, everything that was offered. And it may sound good when it's first uh, offered, but then after reflection of two or three days, you think, well, um, you know, we got to parse that down some, um, we can't, we can't give them everything. Like there's no way you could comment on everything that's discussed around the table sure, sure. into that 30 minutes on Sunday. So, so that, that's where the, the real skill of the individual comes in to be able to, to really prune that down to what that person who's delivering feels comfortable in, in saying on Sunday. And it, then is there any kind of postmortem? Um, it's interesting that, there, there is, but it's, it's kind of, um, informal. Um, we don't, we, we just because of time constraints and kind of our habits, uh, we don't have a very specific time where we sit down and go, okay, let's talk about last week. But we also have a level of relationship where if something really stood out good or bad, that would definitely be brought up either to the individual or in the group with that. Um, it, the, the really the most the most fleshing out and wrestling with it takes place I would say within our grace groups or our community groups during the week because we if you are teaching on Sunday you also write a study guide for the community groups 
And, and that reflects what's taught in the message. And so our community group's discussion time is built around what was said on Sunday. We, we send out an email late in the week that, that tells everybody what text is going to be taught and maybe some leading questions or ideas for that. Then you hear the message on Sunday or you hear it on the podcast and then you go to your community group and you, that's where you kind of tear it apart. You kind of reflect on it. We're, we're very big on, on reminding people not to believe the person in the pulpit just because they have a microphone, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit's working among us as a community, that this is a conversation, not a lecture. And that, um, it, it reflects, it reflects pretty much my theology around the idea that, that text and scripture is supposed to be entered into conversationally, that it is, it is inviting us to add our voice to, to give it a, our questions, to wrestle with it in a very deep way. And we want the messages that are taught um, to be reflected even more so that way. Yeah. And so uh, really, I assume even some of the material that can't end up getting used in the sermon is really helpful for preparing that discussion guide that goes on as well. And it's, and it's really helpful when you feel like there's a lot that you can't say. Right that you can catch it in the community groups. We have an incredibly gifted um, writer on staff, Feli, who is, she's just, she's brilliant at taking everything that's said, everything that's offered, and then putting it into words that engender conversation further. And she'll pick up a lot of things that would, that can't be or aren't said in the sermon and include them in that, those notes or that discussion. Yeah. So she does that every week or the, the person she who every, she's responsible. Philly is responsible for organizing it. The, the person who is teaching um, is supposed to give the, give her the introduction and, and basically outline the major points. Um, but she's, like I said, she's just, I mean, she's gifted in this. And yeah, so she yeah. can take that and put it in such a way that really, uh, draws it all together. Yeah. So as you on a week that you're preaching, for instance, then what does your week look like leading up to Wednesday? Because as you described this morning, Mike, who's preaching this week, already had some of his own stuff. So there's some right, expectation right. you've done your own work. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, it varies week to week depending on my schedule. I I'll give you my ideal. My ideal yeah. is that uh, Monday. I communicate with the teaching team, make sure that they know, hey, the the doc is up, um, that uh, here's kind of my leading questions that I'm asking. Um, and there's probably not going to be, but I'll have the text for sure in the doc, in the in the, the planning doc. Um, hopefully I'll have those questions in there. And uh, and then I'll just, I'll be, I'll be preparing and reading um through various resources that I have so that by Wednesday morning I can give them a solid idea of where I feel like we should go. And then through the process of discussion, we, we either affirm that or we change it or we challenge it. And then by Friday, I should have, the document will be pretty much fully fleshed out. We'll have the introduction in there that we're going to send out by email We'll have the, the questions for the grace groups uh, in there. We'll have any leaders' notes that we need for our, for our grace group leaders. And, 
and it's it's pretty well in a way 90% finished by Friday and then once i have my my final teaching notes i'll copy and paste those in there's a place in there that that word for word what i use on sunday is in the doc so that people can refer back to it yeah and that so what's what's the what's the burden when you're the one teaching to balance bringing you know so so for me as i think about preparing sermons and all that which i love the idea of this this team and and a prior ministry i was part of we did the same thing on a monday morning we had a teaching team for our church don't have the depth of this now it's it's a beautiful thing but what's the what's the burden of when i'm teaching on a passage i know that i want to have some sense of my own i have to have my own passion for it like i have to like i sure. have to find the tension and what how that text is responding to that tension um so like how do you how do you navigate or struggle through the balance of everybody's bringing their own passion and tension to a passage and seeing these different you know the the old metaphor of turning the jewel and seeing the different refractions in it so like what's the burden or the joy uh, probably a little bit of both in terms of bringing all that together as you prepare the the final sermon well i think you i think you used the key word there which is tension you have to be you have to embrace very different points of view if you're going to if you're going to work within that system hmm. yeah if your goal is to advance your own agenda at all cost um it it's not going to work it's sure. going to become oppressive or rote or very competitive and um Man, John, I just can't tell you, like I said, the the fruit of the transformation in the people's lives in the team that comes from taking something precious, which is your point of view, your your encounter with the scripture, and then laying it before other people who who then offer theirs in a way that may seem at first very antagonistic to yours. And to watch emotions swell, because we're all people. I mean, it, listen, it, it can get hot around that table, and yeah, it has. Yeah. But being willing to sit with that tension, not to, not to say, well, I'm just going to take my, I'm just going to take my, you know, commentary and go home. Um, be able to sit with that tension, be able to commit even when you may disagree, when you may have a different preference. And then watch what happens. Like, I just wish you could see the transformation that comes when people come in really, really convinced, strongly convinced that their point of view is the right point of view. For that to come into conflict, for tension and emotions to to escalate, but then to sit and work through that and then see the final product that comes out that in a way still does honor everybody's point of view. It has an individual characteristic without a doubt, but it honors everybody's point of view within the group is I've never, I've never been part of anything like that. I honestly, in all of my ministry career, I've never been part of anything that I find as beautiful as that yeah. around that table. Um, but in another way, I would say it takes on your personal bent more in the illustrations 
than it does necessarily in the emphasis. Because every teacher, we try to really strongly use um, story and illustration to demonstrate. Um, as a matter of fact, they kind of make fun of me sometimes here because I'm, I'm known to drag strange things from jackhammers to <laughs> campfire pits to different things up on, up on stage with me. Um, every teacher has their own bent with that. Do you, and do I you think always drag dangerous things because a well, campfire <laughs> and a jackhammer? <laughs> uh, now that you say that. <laughs> Sorry, you were going somewhere meaningful and I just thought, wow. That's... <laughs> no, yeah. They, um, yeah, I hope our insurance company isn't listening to this. <laughs> yeah, that's when we do that. But, uh, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, I think that's a lot where, where people feel the freedom really to express their, their personal, where they're coming from deep is in the stories that they tell. So I'm wondering if it would be fair to say that the dynamic of the team comes up with almost like a collaborative thesis, but the form that that takes when it's expressed is the personality of the person teaching? I would say very much so. And yeah. I would say that if you if you ask the, even though I've never done this, I probably need to, uh, I think if you ask the average participant on a Sunday morning, um, they could very quickly tell you the different personalities of the different teachers. Like, like we're, I feel like we all bring a very different personality uh, hmm. up there when we're teaching. So there's not a homogenized, we're not, we're not trying to be cookie cutter by any means with yeah. that. Uh, but do you feel like people could even say, uh, John's not preaching today, but I know that little bit is probably came from John. Yeah, I think I think people who are paying attention definitely could. Yeah. With that. And I assume the congregation has a good understanding of how all this works, this collaborative nature. Well, and we talk about it a lot. Yeah. And uh, we reference it when we teach. And also that planning document is open not just to the teaching team, but to every everybody who is who facilitates or leads within the church. So all of our, all of our, uh, you know, what you would call a Sunday school leader, they, they could do it. Um, anybody who leads a ministry team or a mission team, they, they all watch if they want to, they can go online and watch the process develop over the dock huh. They're And they're even welcome to chime in. If they have a specific, if they come across something, they say, you know, that really relates to my area. And I've always wondered this, could you address that? Um, that doesn't happen often. I wish it would happen more. Yeah, but uh, but that's that's something that does that that's open to everybody. We try to be we try to really invite as as broad a participation as we can within that process. So yeah, I, I'm just I'm balancing I'm bouncing this around with the dynamic I experienced before with, with the teaching team, which was. We got together on Monday mornings and we, you know, reflect on yesterday's sermon, what could have been different, what could have been better. And then, but then we'd really just spend time kind of brainstorming the upcoming. But then it was really up to the person who was actually preaching, which the majority of time was a senior pastor, but not always, you know, I think 75% of the time to take all those ideas and form them into a servant sermon. But that, this is, a, this feels like a whole different level of yeah. midrashic collaboration. And, and I like, I think you, I think you've really picked up on the spirit of it when you use that term uh, and you reference the midrash with that. Um, I think that that may be part of my personality, but it's also a function of what I learned uh, recently in seminary at George Fox, um, being part of a cohort and watching that, that really, uh, one of the things I loved about George Fox was they said it's a very safe place to ask very dangerous questions. 
And I feel like in some ways, more than anything, they taught me the questions, not just the questions to ask, but how to find the questions to ask. And I think that reflects that Midrash discussion with that is is bringing those questions, those voices, wrestling with it together as a community of equals. Um, I think if I held the title senior pastor or lead pastor, um, there would be an unnecessary, uh, an unhealthy amount of deference to that position. Yeah. I think because, uh, man, I'm just another guy there. I mean, even though I facilitated and even though I'm up there a lot, you know, I've got another job. I'm, I've, I'm not doing all the other stuff that, that a, a typical pastor would do of a church. Um, that's other people doing that. And so that gives the freedom for people to have, to boldly speak to it, which I, I, I find very healthy and very invigorating. So if somebody's listening to this in their car, or they've just finished yelling at us about the narrative lectionary. <laughs> no, but if, if somebody's listened to this in their, their pastor where they preach 80% of the time and they do the majority of their own preparation and all that, and they're listening and they go, man, this, that sounds beautiful. I would love to have a, just to be able to streamline the process and have other voices and invite like how, what would you encourage them to do to kind of develop that culture in their church? Wow. Um, in, you know, because, in 30 seconds or less, go. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to fight for it. Yeah. It's not going to come easy. It, this, this process started, there was, there was another guy who, when we started this, he and I were the primary teachers. So it started off as a, as a team of two. And then we tried, man, we tried meeting time Saturday morning, Sunday night, lunch on Tuesday. Uh, do we have three meetings and then try to go and try to, you know, uh, collate all that. What do we do? And, and it took us, I would say we've been doing it now for seven years. I would say it took us at least four before we really hit the sweet spot and got the people who could, who understood the value of the sacrifice to get up at, and meet at six thirty on a Wednesday morning. My gosh. I mean, that's just, uh, for some people that's so difficult and yet, and yet they do it because they've seen the value in it. But, uh, but you got to fight for it and you got to find, you got to, you got to try and you got to experiment and you got to fail quite a bit before you're going to find what works. That's not at all what I would have expected you to say. <laughs> because, because, uh, because like my hunch would just be there would be so many people who would, you know, love to feel like they have that kind of ownership and participation in something that's often seen as such a singular task that you could just say, hey, I'm going to start this group of people who can help form the ideas and put together the ideas for sermons. And people will be like, oh, I want to be a part of that group. But it, oh, sure. It, no, it sounds great. It's very romantic. Right. Until you do it. And, and that's that's the thing is the level of sacrifice that is represented by each message here. John, it's. It's precious. I mean, it is. Pre there are people that sacrifice so much to be part of that team who may never get up there and speak on a Sunday just because of, of scheduling and because of responsibilities and because of travel. Um, so not everybody who comes at Wednesday 630 is in the rotation who stands up on Sunday. Right. There, there are people that that want to and that are able but are prevented by schedule or different things. There are people that I would love to preach up there, but but they're terrified of it. 
They, mm-hmm. they just, they feel like it's not their gifting. They feel like it's not their calling. And yet they still show up and participate. And, uh, and to me, that's a weighty thing. And, uh, and, and it means, it means more to me than I could ever express. And is there, so you talk about how the document's open to anybody to participate in. Is there a standard or qualification somehow of somebody who wants to participate in the actual coming to the table on Wednesday morning? Um, if you're willing to get up at six o'clock, <laughs> drive 30 minutes away to this incredible coffee shop that has a round table in a, in a, in a room where we can pull the garage door down and close it off. Um, uh, I mean, we invite people regularly, um, and there's people that will do it one or two times and just realize that's too much for me yeah. or that doesn't work. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that, that we've ever kicked anybody out of the group. Well, I know we haven't kicked anybody out of the group to date. I haven't seen anybody who's willing to kind of make that level of sacrifice um, who wasn't who wasn't there out of good motive? So yeah. some so somebody hears this and they start attending your church in two weeks and they say, "Hey, could I come be a part of that?" Sure. I mean, I would I, I would probably say, "Yeah, if you really want to, come on." Hmm. I might I might say, I mean, depending on my level of relationship with the person, I might say, you know, it's really good to to kind of sit and listen for a couple of times. <laughs> you might want to you know, know what we're about, you know, <laughs> right before you. Jump in and start taking over the conversation, but uh, but I don't know. I think, I, I, yeah, I, I I regularly I I would say it this way. I invite a lot more people than show up. Yeah, and with the travel you do, how does it work when you're out of town on a week? You're going to preach. Well, I'll either try to Skype in, or um, the great thing about this is we've developed we've developed kind of that muscle memory reflex that. Um, our, again, our administrator, and, and at our at, at our church, our administrator is one of only two people who's who's fully fully paid as an employee. Um, she pulls things together. Um, that's actually going to come up in a couple of weeks when I'll be out, but I'll teach on the Sunday. I'll either try to Skype in or put a lot into the document. You know, let people know that we're not going to have a face to face meeting. So make sure that you are very clear in the document. Um, and 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 because we have the history with it, with one another and with the process, uh, you can have a week or two here and there and get by. Yeah. Um, because we are so regular otherwise with that, and that comes up with holidays and different stuff as well. You know. Uh, one of the things I love to just talk about and get nerdy with a little bit, and I might know the answer to this question already just from hearing you describe it, but. I, I love to think about like how do you capture. Uh, I feel like ser- there's two parts to sermon prep. One of them is the the study part where you're sitting down and you're reading Kenneth Bailey or whatever, and you're setting aside time and you're focusing your attention on the text or whatever. But then the other side is the attention that you aren't giving to it. You're just attending to life and you're out and about and you're living your life and something comes up and you go, oh man, that's gotta that's that's going to work in 3 weeks when we're talking about such and such. Sure. So what's that what's that process look like for you? Is it straight to the Google Doc or you capture those somewhere else? Uh, um yeah, you know, I've been really challenged as I've listened to uh to some of the past issues of this podcast with 
um, Evernote and Savota uh, <laughs> talking about having, you know, a file folder for every scripture. He's amazing. Bible. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. that's nuts. I mean, um, I wish I was that organized and that disciplined. Uh, I'll try to capture it as best I can with whatever I have at hand, whether that's just making a note on my phone or or uh, jotting something down on a piece of paper and then adding it into the doc. Um, I really heavily depend on, on our youth Google Docs. I mean, yeah. that's where I it, – it needs to go in there if I'm going to really remember it or use it. And uh, so – so I would say that it goes in there, but, but it's interesting what you said. I, I commute when I'm in town on my bicycle. Hmm. Uh, Northwest Arkansas has a phenomenal s- set of trails, and I'm fortunate enough not to have a wear a suit and tie every day. And so um, I would say that there is a lot of m- meditating on kind of that, that confluence of what is going on in our world and with the people in our community and then what the text is. And, and because I'm, I'm a kinetic learner, I'm a kinetic processor, um, riding a bike is actually one of the most profoundly spiritual things that I do hmm. because it, it gives me enough to do with my body where my brain can be free to kind of ramble through those things. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, Oftentimes when I write, it comes out, it comes out <laughs> very quickly and spastically and I try to get as much down as I can. Um, and then it's like, it's like purging. Like I purge into the computer with words and then I have to go process, yeah. you know, on my bike or walking or doing something out, outside. Yeah. All right. No. I, was, I was wondering how that would work. Uh, <laughs> before we started, we talked about before we started recording, that is, we talked about books. What, yes. are, what are some books that have helped shape what the teaching process at your church looks like? Um, Eugene Peterson is kind of my my template. Hmm. As I as I think of who I want to be as I progress, um, his writings uh, throughout my my Christian walk, but specifically within some of the darkest times that I faced within ministry, uh, his five volume, um, series on spiritual theology, yeah. uh, starting with Christ plays in 10,000 places, um, were fundamental in shaping my imagination around what I could possibly offer in, uh, both in my role as a missionary and as a, as a teaching elder. Um, I would say specific to the task of teaching, uh, the unnecessary pastor that he wrote with Marva Dawn, hmm. and Marva Dawn is is mind blowing. I mean, yeah. as, to borrow another AJ Savota quote, uh, it, it's face melting. <laughs> uh, she, she's unbelievable, and he writes he writes in the unnecessary pastor that that the pastor has three jobs, and that is to be unhurried, subversive, and apocalyptic. And I would say, in a way, that's, that is something I want to bring to teaching as well, that it would be unhurried, subversive, and apocalyptic with that. Um, beyond that, the stuff that Marva Dawn herself has written, uh, Will Williman's book on pastoring is, you know, is kind of a handbook. Yeah. Um, we use N.T. Wright's uh, Every Man series. Yeah. And one of the great things about that is you can hand them, they're cheap enough, literally, that you can hand them to every man. Like we, 
we will often, if we know we're going to be in a book for a while, we'll, we'll hand them out to every leader on the team. We'll buy them and, and give them to everybody. And that's kind of a baseline discussion starter that I think is really good. Yeah. Um, IVPs, dictionaries, I have accordance software. Um, uh, I would say as far as imagination goes, though, um, probably m- no one like Marilyn Robinson. Uh, her Gilead series, starting with Gilead specifically. um, I mean, you know, it's an over, it's an overused cliche, but, but it literally did change my life. I have not read Lila. Lila is, well, nothing, nothing will strike you quite like your first love. Right. And Gilead was my first love with Marilyn Robinson. Yeah. Home, um, Home made me angry, but mm. it also, when I got done with it, was profoundly moved by it. Lila is just heartbreaking. Lila is is beautiful and heartbreaking, and um, and uh, those those three books are just of a, of such a different caliber than than just about anything I've ever read, except for like maybe the Russian novelist back when I was working when we were working in in Belarus. Um, yeah, Robinson, she's one of my heroes too. And, and her, I mean, her prose, her essays are, are just stunning as well. Yeah. Like, uh, when I was a child, uh, collection, you know, I think, what is the one with Adam? Um, I don't think I've read that one. Yeah. It's got Adam in the title, but even her recent New York Times interview on where she talks about fear being the dominant, uh, spiritual affliction of our, of our culture. I mean, it is, devastating in its critique and it's apocalyptic it's unveiling hmm. in many ways well beautiful all right so something about adam i'm, I'm writing this down <laughs> yeah so. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and then you said the ivp dictionaries yeah i have those i use logos but i have those as well yeah all right and it's, um i read one little book too by a uh, barbara barbara taylor brown yeah she talked about recapturing the way to, to preach about sin that, uh, that is stuck with me. Um, that, do you recall what that's called? Uh, I was looking for it before the interview and I could not find it. Um, uh, I, I'll run across it though and I'll send it to you. But Great. She, yeah. she gives a, she gives a whole different imagination around what it means to, to really talk strongly and forcefully about sin that, that was, uh, I thought was masterful. That sounds good. I, I've read so little of her stuff, which I know I need to to do. What have we not talked about that you would add to this? Um, wow, I think I think whereas before in growing up in a denominational church, I was taught to think of preaching as a solitary act. I was think to taught. I, 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 th- I think I was taught that. That preaching was a very specialized thing that one person did as a distinct component from the rest of the Christian life. And man, John, the potential for speaking truth, for teaching and learning um, as a as a tool of community transformation, I think has barely been scratched. Hmm. 
and I think because I think we would we would assent to that in the idea that we think of, okay, I'm going to teach, people are going to listen, and then they're going to be changed, and and obviously there's a degree of that, but the process, divorced of the process of a of a conversational process, we have severely limited that that impact, and I think the more that we regain the the uh, the tools and the trust and the the muscle memory and the habits of of really conversing and wrestling together with scripture um, in a way that we can pro- then proclaim that whether that's from a stage on a Sunday morning or in a in a community group or a Sunday school or a on the missionary field or at our workplace. Um, I don't think we've even begun to touch that. I, I just think it's part of the kind of isolation and professionalization of our society. And obviously that that requires a level of intimacy that is that almost precludes it being part of a of a very large structure. Um it is it it is much more accessible in a in a smaller type church setting with that. Um so I would say that, and then I would say the other thing is that people are changed by imagination. I mean, Jason Clark said it in one of the interviews he gave with you. You know, um, people don't I, people don't need their minds changed as much as they need their imaginations changed. We talk a lot about having an active gospel imagination um, at Grace, and I and I use that a lot as a missionary to um, how do I have an active gospel imagination around this. Um, you know, that's just that. That's where you see transformation happen. Hmm. Yeah. Well, John, thanks so much. I uh, I know you by just a lot of people that I love and respect. Love and respect you too. And so, but I had no idea what I was in for today. This has been fun. Yeah, it has been. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hanging out when I come to Austin. I'm a I'm gonna. I, I speak for the uh, perspectives on the world Christian movement. Oh class. yeah, and uh, I'm gonna teach in February, I think. There. All right. Uh, speaking three different nights there, and hopefully we can grab a cup of coffee and hang out. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Anybody else wants to join us, and you're you know close by, let us know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks, John. It's it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Oh, it's been great. Hey, and I. I Honestly, I love what you're doing with Sermon Smith. I Thanks. mean, just the the five or six that I've got to listen to um, in preparation for this. I'm like, man, everybody needs to be listening to this podcast. This is awesome. Well, thanks so. for saying so. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot, so I'm glad to hear others are too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, blessings. All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. As I do every week, I'll remind you that you can go to sermonsmith.com and you can find links to the resources and the books that each of our interviews talks about. If you follow the links for those, we will typically get a little bit of an affiliate kickback on those, again, to support the show. And those of you who are willing to do reviews on iTunes, post on Facebook, send tweets, all of those are welcome and helpful ways to spread the word to others about Sermon Smith. Thanks so much. 